Welcome to The Real News. I'm Mark Steiner. Great to have you all with us. We're about to have a conversation with Noam Chomsky, who we all know is considered the founder of modern linguistics, but he and his ideas and his activism have been an inspiration to many across the globe who seek social, economic, and racial justice. Just a personal anecdote. I've been reading him since 1967 when he wrote his essay against the Vietnam War called The Responsibility of Intellectuals. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times in the past. He's written well over 100 books, appears often on my colleague Amy Goodman's Democracy Now!, his latest book, which I just finished, is Internationalism or Extinction. And as we face the COVID-19 pandemic and the failures of neoliberal capitalism, who better to spend some time with Noam Chomsky? And so, Noam Chomsky, welcome to The Real News. Good to have you with us. Pleased to be with you. So let me just begin. I mean, you, you have written um, in your book uh, and at other times about the remembrance of Hitler and the rise of fascism. And here we find ourselves, you know, at this moment with the... With, facing the, the depth of climate change under Trump, the doomsday clock is getting closer and closer to midnight, seconds, as you've, as you've said recently. And, and so all this coming together, and we have this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic, exacerbating this march towards kind of right-wing, potentially uh, uh, right-wing populist authoritarianism. Looking back into history, I'm, I'm just curious where you think we are now. And I was thinking about a quote that you wrote in your book from Mark Twain, which I love, which is, history doesn't repeat, but sometimes rhymes. And we're in some strange rhyming period. Talk a bit about where you think we are. Well, I'm old enough uh, to remember as a child uh, listening to uh, Hitler's speeches over the radio at the Nuremberg rallies. I couldn't understand the words when I was six years old, but uh, could easily understand the mood. And it was frightening. The uh, adoration of the screaming crowds, uh, the ranting, and uh, also seeing what was beginning to happen in the 30s as fascism began to spread and seemed inexorably over the much of the world with these hideous leaders uh, in charge. And I do, these memories do come to mind when I listen to uh, one of uh, Trump's rallies, for example. It's, there's some similarity, the worship of the crowds, the very effective, is very effective use of techniques of manipulation. Uh, so for example, the constant flood of lies and self-contradictions and so on which is very well designed to uh, undermine the very notion of truth, it disappears. So you just listen to the great leader. Uh, he's doing very much the same, I presume consciously, uh, with regard to the coronavirus. Uh, if you look over his statements since January, they range all over the map. It's just the flu, don't worry about it. It's a terrible pandemic, and I was the first person ever to notice it and anything else. That's a great technique. It assures that he'll be vindicated. Uh, whatever happens, you'll find some statement he made that was accurate. When you shoot arrows at random, uh, something's going to hit the target. And when you have uh, adoring crowds who uh, grasp any word of the leader when you have a echo chamber called Fox News where they uh, 
loyally repeat every bit of nonsense that you say, uh, then it's a terrific technique of domination and control. Uh, so, but before, um, there are people, including good scholars of fascism, like Robert Paxton, who argue that uh, we may be in danger of coming to something like fascism. But while there's something to that, I think we should uh, be reserved about it. Fascism was an ideology. It wasn't just screaming and ranting at adoring crowds. It was an ideology of state takeover and domination and control of everything. Of course, labor unions and so on, but also business, state control of business, Gleichschaltung it was called. That's almost the opposite of what we have now. We have business control of the state under Trump deepening. His primary constituency is wealth and corporate power, and he lavishes uh, gifts for them. It was very striking at the Davos meetings in January, you know, the meetings of the masters of the universe. He gave, they very much dislike him, the corporate executives, they didn't like his style or anything else about him. He gave the leading speech. They liked it because he talked about his tax cut a huge gift to the wealthy and the corporate sector, stabbing everyone else in the back. Uh, they thought that was great, you know. So he understands how to serve his primary masters, how to keep the adoring crowds under control, but there's no ideology. The ideology is simply me. I'm a megalomaniac psychopath, and I just want what's good for me. But that's not fascism. It's something pretty awful, but not fascism. Uh, with the coronavirus, very important. I mean, it's a terrible crisis. We'll recover from it uh, at uh, maybe horrible cost, but we will recover. And there are two things that is important to keep in mind. One is there's going to be more of these crises. Now, this particular one has been predicted for 10 or 15 years ever since the SARS epidemic, similar coronavirus. Uh, so it was predicted, it was understood that something would come. Steps weren't taken, it's very interesting to look at how that works for the time I could talk about it. Uh, but it was understood that something was underway. If we don't look at the roots of this crisis and deal with them, there'll be others and there'll be worse ones because they'll be compounded with something else that's happening. This crisis we'll recover from. We're not going to recover from the melting of the, uh, uh, the polar ice caps and the other uh, very uh, significant impacts of the global warming crisis, which Trump is trying hard to exacerbate. Right in the middle of this crisis, while people are worried about you know, getting by, he's continuing on his relentless drive to destroy uh, organized human life on Earth. So on February 10th, while the pandemic was spreading over the US, uh, Trump came out, Trump and his courtiers, it's not just him, came out with their uh, budget proposals for next year, okay? A lot of it was predictable, continued, increasing cutbacks 
of every health-related aspect of the government. He's been doing that for years, so let's continue to wipe, wipe out the health system and response system. Okay, that's expected. Uh, huge expenses for the bloated military and his great wall. Yeah, we expect that. Uh, anything that has anything of any use to human beings, we cut. Okay. But what was interesting is that, that he included subsidies for the fossil fuel industry to try to make the major crisis worse. Uh, furthermore, his new EPA, which is corporate run, as you know, just a couple of days ago, announced uh, cutbacks in regulations for auto emissions. Uh, that'll have the welcome effect of killing a lot more people from pollution, which is a major killer. But more important, increasing, uh, expanding the race to the abyss uh, with coming environmental crisis. Now, these are things we have to pay attention to. We have to think about the roots of this crisis and what can be done with, what can be done to prevent the next one, which is very likely will probably be worse. And we have to ask ourselves what we're going to do about the truly existential crisis, which is going to destroy human civilization. Not just my view, incidentally, a very interesting memo from uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, the biggest American bank. Uh, the memo was quite interesting. It said that the survival of humanity, their phrase, the survival of humanity is at risk if we continue on our present course, including the virtually genocidal uh, commitments of the bank, his bank, their bank, uh, to fund fossil fuels. It's understood. The Davos men, they understand, the masters of the world understand it very well. Uh, we should understand it. We should not mince words. When I say genocidal, it's correct. Uh, the, if we don't deal with, there is time, there, not much, but there is time to deal with the crisis, uh, even without a radical change of institutions. There are ways to do it, but not much time. Uh, every day, every year we waste, gets worse. Uh, every year we allow Trump and his acolytes to uh, expand the crisis, to accelerate it, gets harder to deal with. Uh, if he gets reelected, it's a, I won't say it's a death knell for the species, but it's a very severe blow. All of this is, should be right in the front of our minds as we're thinking about this crisis. And we should recognize that it is in the fronts of the minds of the criminal class, the ones who are taking advantage of this crisis to ram through their programs of destruction and uh, uh, devastation, which they're in their little sociopathic minds are evidently dedicated to. These are not exaggerations, incidentally. If we look at uh, the Republican Party, we even know why they're doing it. Uh, we go back about 10 years, John McCain running for president. Now, he had a, uh, a climate change uh, uh, element in his platform. The Republican Congress was beginning to think about small ways to deal with the growing 
the climate crisis, which of course they knew was coming. What happened? The Coke energy machine, which had been working for years to try to keep the Republican Party on course of supporting fossil fuels, went into motion, launched a juggernaut, uh, bribing senators, intimidating them with threats to run alternative candidates, uh, huge lobbying effort, uh, astroturf campaigns. They all capitulated in a moment. Ever since then, they've been deniers, okay? That's the world we're living with. And that has an effect. Now, people listen to Fox News, which echoes what's coming from the wealthy and powerful and their spokespersons in Washington. End result is if you take a look at Republicans, whose main source of information so-called is Fox News, about 25% of them think that it's a serious problem. I think about the same number who think that humans are probably involved. This is a major crisis for the world. And uh, we're right at the heart of it. Now, there are things we have to do. Now, you can learn a lot just by looking at the details of how this crisis arose. Back in 2003, it was understood by scientists that another epic pandemic and probably a coronavirus pandemic is not unlikely. There were things that could have been done. Uh, and some things began to be done. So Obama did contract with a small company in California uh, to produce uh, high quality, low cost ventilators. That's the bottleneck in the system right now. The reason why nurses have to decide who they're gonna kill. Uh, he did make that contract. The company was quickly bought up by a large corporation Covidian, which makes high process, high cost uh, ventilators. They sidetracked the project, probably because they didn't want competition with their high cost ventilators. And pretty soon they uh, told the government they want to get out of the contract because it wasn't profitable enough to produce what is desperately needed. It's profitable, but you can make more money with fossil fuels. Same thing's going with the fossil fuel companies and sustainable energy. They make profit from the sustainable energy corporations, but you make much more profit from destroying the world. So they kill those projects. Uh, that's called capitalism. And it's particularly savage variant called neoliberalism, what we've been suffering from since Reagan, uh, with very harmful consequences. Uh, so that's, so we, come up to the present, let's say uh, last October, uh, there was a high level simulation of a pandemic, coronavirus pandemic, showing how awful it would be. That was October. In December, China notified the World Health Organization that they were finding uh, pneumonia-like symptoms with unknown etiology. On January 7th, they informed the World Health Organization uh, that the Chinese scientists had identified the source as a coronavirus, had identified the virus, sequenced it, provided the information to the entire world. Uh, US intelligence knew. Uh, in January and February, they were 
and pounding on the doors of the White House, trying to get someone to pay attention. But as one high intelligence official put it, they couldn't get Trump's ear. Uh, for him, it was just a minor flu, don't worry about it. Uh, finally comes, you know, the recognition that it's a big problem. So of course, he's the first person who ever knew it was a pandemic. We go into that routine. And that's where we are now. The worst, it's the epicenter of the crisis. Uh, the only major country in the world, the only one that is so dysfunctional that it cannot even provide data to the World Health Organization on the number of possible cases. Every other major country can. Now that's what we're living with. And we're gonna make a decision pretty soon as to whether to continue with it uh, or get rid of it and try to move back to some level of sanity. I should say this is not the only case for worry. You mentioned the doomsday clock it's been moving towards midnight ever since Trump was nominated. This year broke all records. The analysts abandoned minutes, turned to seconds, 100 seconds to midnight. One reason is what we've just been talking about. But there's another one which nobody wants, seems to want to talk about. Trump is tearing to shreds the last parts of the arms control agreements which go back to Reagan and Eisenhower uh, that are, have helped maintain the virtual miracle that there hasn't been a nuclear war yet. Uh, not only doing that, but doing it very blatantly, virtually appealing to other countries, Russia in particular, to find ways to destroy us. So last August, uh, Trump has, you know, abandoned the Reagan Gorbachev INF Treaty, which had significantly reduced the threat of war, he abandoned it, but went beyond. Immediately after abandoning it, the US launched a missile violating the treaty. That's virtually pleading with adversaries, okay, try to develop means to destroy us as fast as you can. Great for military industry, they were exulting huge new contracts to develop uh, new ways to destroy everything. And as they pointed out, down the road, there'll be even bigger contracts to try to find some ways, some hopeless way to defend against the uh, destructive systems that we're now developing. So for them, it's wonderful. And for the rest of us saying, yeah, we're toast. They want to kill us all. Uh, that's the decisions that that's the meaning of the decisions that are being taken about arms control. The Russians have been calling for uh, continuing the next major treaty, the New START Treaty. They say, let's just continue it. US won't respond. They don't say anything. The time is getting short, very little time for negotiations. That one will probably go. Also facing the axe is the Open Skies Treaty, which was suggested by Eisenhower, that's under the Act. So anything you can think of that can harm people and destroy civilization, that's a high priority. Is that an exaggeration? Unfortunately not. Is this the most dangerous administration and party in human history? I'm afraid so.
It's not an exaggeration when you think of the consequences. Those are the issues that we should be thinking about just as the gang of criminals is while we're sequestered and suffering from the effects of the coronavirus, which with sanity can be dealt with at significant cost, but not hopeless. So the Asian countries have been doing a fairly good job of containing it. Taiwan, South Korea, Hong Kong. Uh, in Europe, uh, Germany has the lowest death rate, recorded death rate of any country that has statistics, also Norway. And one reason is they did not follow this lunatic business run uh, principle of uh, no fat in the system, just on time delivery. May work for automobiles, doesn't work for health systems. That's that they can't have extra beds. They can't have extra diagnostic capacity. That wouldn't be efficient. And that means if anything goes wrong, you're sunk. Okay. Now, Germany had excess capacity, diagnostic capacity, beds. They were able to do something to deal with the crisis. In fact, it's pretty instructive for Americans to just listen to Donald Trump's ravings and then turn to Angela Merkel, German chancellors, her judicious, measured, factual uh, appeal to the German people, explaining to them what's coming and has to be done. Just listening to those side by side tells us what Trump courtiers are doing to this country. They're also making it one of the most hated countries in the world. You can easily see this just by reading the foreign press, especially the third world press. I can give you an interesting illustration of that, if you don't mind an anecdote. Now, there's a internet fabrication circulating uh, with some lunatic claims about how the US has uh, invented the the biological weapon and is using it to take over the world and so on. It's attributed to me, sometimes even accompanied by pictures of me. It's all over the world. I get a ton of letters about it. And most of the letters are, thank you for finally telling the truth. This is from serious people, scholars, friends of mine. It's an indication of the attitude toward the United States that's engendered by Trump's uh, antics and actions, uh, which are un seriously undermining the country in many ways, not just leading to destruction, but in many other ways. It's a real malignancy of an unprecedented kind. You can't say it too strongly. The amazing things you just said, and I and I anticipated most of my questions. Let me just let me a couple of things here that come out of both the book and what you've just said to us. Um, the first, when you look at the coronavirus that we're facing on the planet, this pandemic, um, you, you've written and talked about the relationship between neoliberalism and authoritarianism. Uh, you, you, and you can see in this moment that whether it's Trump or Bolsonaro or any of the other authoritarian leaders, that are on a rise in this world through the, the populist movements, 
um, that they're using the coronavirus as a way to even implement greater control. Correct. So I wonder if where, where that fits into the danger we're facing in terms of when you face these pandemics, and this could be the first of many to come, um, if you, when you read some, some literature is telling us about the unleashing of, of viruses we don't know from the melting of permafrost and the Arctic ice shelves and the loss of habitat and how all these things fit into that, that, that this, could, this, this could be the perfect key to open a door for authoritarianism. And A, do you think that's true? And B, what would our response be? Well, actually, it's very much the same as the way the Trump administration is using the opportunity to increase, to uh, intensify the severe environmental catastrophe in the ways I described. Fossil fuel companies are doing exactly the same. They're appealing for a reduce, reduction of emissions during the time of, of controls on emissions during the time of crisis and so on. Yes, every part of the, if you like, criminal gang that runs much of the world is gonna be using the opportunity to intensify their control and destructive power. How do we react? By countering it and overwhelming it with popular reactions and uh, developments and those are taking place i mean there's some very important and instructive things let's go back to that uh, jp morgan memo that i mentioned it actually advises that jp morgan stop funding fossil fuels it says that doing it causes reputational damage what does that mean that's advice to activists that said, you keep wrecking our reputations, we're gonna to have to change policy. Uh, the banging on the doors, the protests, it has an effect. That's one of the reasons for the main theme at Davis last January, it was quite interesting. Uh, the corporate sector is saying, yeah, we were pretty rotten in the past, but now we're changing, that so we're gonna be socially responsible and even beyond socially responsible we're going to go all out to help uh, stakeholders the communities uh, workers we're really devoted that to that now it's the centerpiece of our commitments why because the peasants are rising with the pitchforks uh, nothing new about this incidentally it's useful to have a sense of history you go back 65 years uh, leading economist Carl Kazin, liberal economist, Kennedy administration, wrote a book in which he extolled what he called the soulful corporation. He said, corporations are changing. They used to just try to make money. Now they're soulful. They're really committed to the mission of helping the world. That was 65 years ago. We've now had 65 years of experience with it. Peasants are coming with their pitchforks again. We better be soulful again, okay? That tells activists you're doing something right. Go after them. Go after their strangle, force them, and create alternatives. Like take what the Sunrise Movement just did. It's a group of young kids. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the Green New Deal was, if it was mentioned at all, was an object of ridicule.
Now it's right at the center of the legislative agenda. It still gets ridiculed, but it's the center of the agenda. In some form or other, uh, some kind of Green New Deal is essential for survival. So that transition is very significant. How did it happen? Uh, some young kids uh, uh, agitated, uh, sat in in senatorial offices, uh, they were supported by congressional offices. They were supported by uh, Ocasio-Cortez, a couple of other young uh, uh, representatives who came in on the Sanders uh, wave, which was very important in changing the mentality in the country and opening up new directions. All of this offers opportunities. Similar things are happening in Europe. Okay, that's the way to counter what you're describing the only way. It's the only way throughout history. It's the only way now. And it can be done. So I just, I don't want to keep it too long, but I, I, this, this, what you just raised here, I, I'm, you know, when I was younger <clears throat> and in the throes of the uh, movements of the 60s and early 70s, um, we actually thought we would get rid of capitalism. <laughs> and uh, it's still very much with us and maybe stronger than ever. So the, when you look at what we're facing, whether this pandemic unleashed, I think in large part because of environmental reasons, when you look at, when you look at the danger, the doomsday clock being so close to the, to the top seconds away, as you wrote, um, the threat to our democracy across the world and in this country, uh, the climate the change, the climate disaster we're facing. So we, and we're facing this 2020 election with Trump clearly uh, with a great deal of chance to win. I, and when you see a lot of young people who are just so dissatisfied, many people with the neoliberal uh, control of the Democratic Party, but that's the only face that really opposes Trump at the moment. What is your analysis and feeling about what we should do? I mean, you've lived through as a young child from Hitler to now uh, and seen so much um, through all your time and have been writing about this and your ideas have morphed and changed over the years as I've been reading them. So where do you think we are now with this? I mean. What would you say to activists and other people in the American public about what should happen in 2020? Well, what should happen in 2020 is obvious. We have to get priority number one, get rid of the malignancy. If Trump manages to win, and there's another possibility, he may lose and refuse to leave the White House. I wouldn't exclude that. But if any of those happens, we're pretty much toast. Okay, so that's priority number one. Uh, I get a flood of letters from all sorts from young people who are so in such despair uh, that they don't see any point in living because everything we lose everything, everything goes wrong. There's no possibility of doing anything. Well, you know, if you're 20 years old and you don't know a thing about the 60s, let's say, may look like that. But you and I should know better. Just remember what the world was like in the 60s. Now, the United States had anti-miscegenation laws so strict that the Nazis refused to accept them. Uh, federal law required that housing, federal housing, was specifically for whites only, no blacks. So if some black auto worker, say, managed to get enough money to get a 
house he couldn't get into Levittown and the other housing developments that were growing. Of course, anti-sodomy laws. The women still did not have the legal rights of peers. They were still living under the, the laws of the framers, which designated women as property, not, not people. Didn't change till 1975. Uh, you remember the anti-war movement. In the early 60s, when Kennedy was rapidly escalating the war, it was almost impossible to get anyone to even listen to any effort to do something about this. Uh, demonstrate, we tried to make demonstrations, they were violently broken up. Uh, churches were attacked if there was a demonstration going on. This is Boston I'm talking about, the most liberal city in the country up until the late 60s. That's changed enormously. Opposition to aggression now is far higher, and we've seen it over and over. Uh, in short, in many ways, the country's become a lot more civilized, uh, thank, not thanks to gifts from above, thanks to the activism of people like you back in the 60s, it had a big impact. It frightened the daylights out of elites liberal elite. So if you read, uh, you should read, if you haven't done it, read books like uh, The Crisis of Democracy by the Trilateral Commission, early 70s. Trilateral Commission is liberal internationalists from around the world. The Carter administration was drawn almost completely from its ranks. But what were they concerned about? Too much democracy. The kids are out in the streets protesting. The women are demanding rights. Uh, the working people are saying we should have rights too. What are called the special interests, namely everybody except corporations. Well, they're asking for the kind of rights that they don't deserve. That's, I'm talking about the liberals. The colleges are a real problem. We have to do something. They are failing in their mission of indoctrination of the young. I'm quoting incidentally. These are the liberals. They're failing in their mission of indoctrinating the young. We have to make it harsher, under control. You go to the right end of the spectrum, it's much more extreme. The point is that the liberal, the whole spectrum was very frightened and wanted to come down on it like a ton of bricks to put an end to this heresy of calling for democracy and rights. And we enter into a period of very savage capitalism. Okay, that's the neoliberal period. All sorts of things. Like when Reagan came in, you know, he's reading the script that's handed to him by his corporate masters, but you know, with a sunny smile, he reads them. First thing is government is the problem. So get government out of our affairs, meaning hand it over to unaccountable private tyrannies. That's called libertarian in the United States. Uh, the government is somewhat influenced by public opinion, so it's bad. We've got to put everything in private hands. No influence of the public, pure tyrannies. Uh, we have to destroy the labor movement. That's a force for freedom and democracy. So his first acts were to try to crush the labor movement. Went on. Incidentally, all this stuff was picked up by Clinton. There's many just expanding this. Uh, 
he did some other things which aren't too well known, but are very significant. Uh, right away, Reagan, reading the script, legalized stock buy buybacks and tax havens. That was illegal before, and it was enforced. There weren't any. That's not small money. That's tens of trillions of dollars of pure robbery of the public by the private sector. And it's right in front of us at this moment. Uh, the major corporations who are, you know, they're throwing away their copies of Ayn Rand for the moment and appealing to the nanny state to bail them out. Why do they need a bailout? Because during the last few years of very high profits, instead of developing their own productive capacity and, you know, can barely mention it, doing something for the undeserving public, they were buying back stock to enrich themselves and their, uh, and their, and shoot their executive uh, pay up to the skyrocketing. So yeah, now they're not prepared. So the public has to come back and bail them out again, something we're familiar with in the Reagan period. Now that can be changed. Unfortunately, it's not possible at this moment not to bail out the, the criminals who have led to the crisis. You have to, they're too important for the economy. But you can put conditions. You can say, you get one penny from us, you've got to stop permanently any stock buyback, period. You've got to stop any use of tax havens, period. You, and that can be enforced. It was enforced for 50 years pre-Reagan, can be again. You got to put working people on your board of management, board of directors. If you feel you can't do it, then quit. Somebody else will do it. Those conditions can be imposed. They don't destroy capitalism, but they do mitigate its cruel impact and give us breathing space to move further. All of these things are feasible, lots more like it, okay? It's not that we don't have opportunities and choices. We do. We have to understand what's happening, understand its roots, grasp the opportunities, work out the proper tactics, you know, not crazy ones, sensible ones, and uh, we can get out of this mess. If we don't do it, it's going to be disastrous. Well, you leave us with both a serious analysis of what we face, the dangers we face, but also some hope. Um, and I, I, I deeply appreciate that, and I know our viewers will as well. Um, Don Chomsky, you've given us a great deal of time here. I appreciate the time you've given us uh, and the work you've done, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm Mark Steiner here with the Real News Network. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this. Let us know what you think. Take care. Thanks a lot for watching, appreciate it. Uh, but do us one more solemn favor, hit the subscribe button below. You know you want to. Stay up on the videos.